and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, College for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, June 20th, we're studying Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 to 18. In today's text, one of the seven angels with the censers shows John the judgment of the great prostitute with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Kyle Mietzner. Pastor Mietzner serves as battalion chaplain with the 10th Mountain Division of the United States Army in Fort Drum, New York. Chaplain Mietzner, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning. It's great to be back. So we get started today. Talk to us a little bit about the book of Revelation. How do we need to approach it as Christians so that it is a helpful and beneficial book to us? Uh, the book of Revelation is beautiful overall. It is um, it is something that you can get stuck on. Uh, there are all sorts of strange details in it. There are frightening things in it. Uh, but But overall, from the beginning to the end, it is really a beautiful book which is full of nothing but comfort for the Christians, particularly Christians who are suffering in any way, who are wondering if there's kind of any way out. Well, there is. And, um, and again, from beginning to end of this book, um, as with all the scriptures, it is, this is meant for uh, the comfort of the Christian and, and that Christians would have uh, eternal life. So um, St. John is the one who writes this book. Uh, he also, you know, writes John and then the epistles of John. And um, they are all, they all work together. And, and you can kind of, you can, you can, you can hear John there uh, behind all of it too. Um, we remember that John is, is a pastor and um, he's there in Ephesus uh, taking care of, of Jesus' mother, Mary. And uh, he has this congregation, and, and he, is, he is first and foremost a pastor. Um, the Lord sends him out to take care of his sheep, and, and so he does. And, and so this is primarily a, a pastoral message to those Christians who are, who are suffering, because John himself was um, in exile when he receives this, this vision. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's just, it's a beautiful book, and... And Christians kind of get hung up on this because we want to like chart everything out all the time. And we want to say, well, this is this exact corollary. And, and, and we'll see this um, because there's so many things in this chapter which you want to say like, well, who are these 10 kings and what are these seven hills and all of these things? And there are some things that perhaps we just don't know. Um, and if we don't know them, like that's okay because... We should not see this as some sort of thing to chart out, but this is just one massive vision that is given to St. John. And uh, I love I love how much singing is in it. Uh, 
all the way from the beginning to the end again it is just like full of of singing and yeah. i remember um dr brighton talking about the the great todayum that is throughout the whole entire book of revelation uh, so you can string this whole song together rather than seeing it as a progression from beginning to end it's this cyclical thing and uh, and it, it all works together so yeah don't get lost in the details i think with revelation just like you know kind of swallow it whole and go over okay. all of it all right so talk to us a little bit about the context for this chapter particularly we're coming out of the seven censers being poured out we still got one of those angels who's going to show john something here what, what do we need to know about the context to help us understand chapter 17. so we're almost at the end of the book so that should kind of if you're getting lost in things then then like you're almost there at the end um so chapter 16, you have these uh, seven bowls of wrath, which are poured out, and they're full of just awful and nasty things. And I almost think that this thing that comes here, it's like everything before was almost like the, the clouds that are coming before the actual hurricane gets to you. And, and then like it like breaks open here, and he's like, oh, yeah, here's where all this stuff is coming from. Um, Everything else was just a symptom, but here's the actual disease. Uh, but, but again, the the disease, the, the evil that that is manifest here in Revelation 17, like cannot triumph, and uh, we we start to see that here. I mean, it's kind of funny because during the whole entire book, right, the lamb is never like losing. The, the lamb is victorious the whole entire time. Yeah, yeah. And that, that remains true. That remains true here in chapter 17. So let's go ahead and, and take a look at this text. It's a, a long chapter, a lot of things that we can talk about here. This is Revelation chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. And with the wine, whose, of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of, the, and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman, and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction." And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast, because it was, it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings, who have not yet received royal power. 
but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make more war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast, until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So that's our text for today. That's Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 to 18. So, Chaplain Meetsner, let's just talk about the, the image that goes throughout this chapter, this, as the editors of the ESV call her, the great prostitute. This is a new figure in the book of Revelation. Talk to us about why she is introduced here and, and some of the things that we need to, to understand from just the fact that this is the image we're getting. I think that that we are seeing um, kind of almost the, the revealing of who this is. Uh, the, there's this development and, and all of a sudden you, you have this, this, yeah, this great prostitute sitting that she's described in, in, um, some detail. Um, but I, I think that what we want to see here is that there's always this contrast between this great prostitute and then also the bride of Christ. So, um, overall it is, I mean, it, it's, it's really She's kind of fascinating. Um, she's got a name on her forehead, uh, which apparently was something that Roman prostitutes would do. They would they would wear a, a band on their forehead with their name on it. Um, but uh, yeah, she is this massive figure, um, but she is not. She's not like working on her own. Uh, she is. She is subject to the the beast's authority. The beast is the one that is like giving her power. Um, so, yeah, there's. I think that there's this whole contrast again between between this the prostitute of of, of Babylon and the bride of Christ, uh, who is the New Jerusalem. And there are there are so many just kind of um, I, I don't know I don't know if they're like binaries, but um, there's there's Christ and Antichrist. There's there's church and there's there's anti-church, and that's what we're seeing here. Like this is the anti-church. Um, there's the kingdom of God, and then there's the empire of, of Satan. Um, all of all of these just like back and forths here, and yeah, she's she's like really scary. Um, it, so in terms of the in terms of the the book of Revelation then and, and and what we've seen so far with Saint John maybe a good place to to draw some contrast is the woman with child from Revelation chapter 12 there's going to be some contrast between her and then this great prostitute so you've got the the church at least that's part of the the image of the woman in chapter 12 the church and here the anti church there's some of the contrast for us right so the woman in in chapter 12 who is um, she is clothed with the sun and, and she has the moon at her feet and, and she, she appears very weak. 
um, she gives birth to this son, and and the dragon pursues her, and she see she essentially goes into hiding. Um, she does not like there's 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 nothing in her that you're like oh yeah she's gonna win. And you're like oh no that dragon is gonna get that baby and is gonna kill him, and then it's gonna kill this lady too. Like they look totally vulnerable here, which by the way so does the lamb who is who appears as if he has been slaughtered. Right. Uh, and so that is, we see the vulnerability of the church. Um, I don't know that there's ever been an age where we haven't been worried about the future of the church. Like every single, you know, pastor's conference or whatever it is, you know, every single parish is like, well, how is, I don't know what it's going to look like a year from now, you know? And you think about that, we, we just had call day at our seminaries, and, and the big news is that there are not enough pastors to fill all the calls. And, and you know, and, and people are kind of, some people are, are, are panicking about this. And, like, don't, because we've been through this before. Like, it's going to be fine. Um, some churches may have to close, yes. Like, it's, it's really okay. Like, this is all going to be okay. Um, Jesus was for real when he said that the gates of hell would not prevail and that the, the church the church will continue because he loves the church. It always looks weak to us. Um, you know, and I think Christians are really, we, we feel like we're up against the wall right now. Um, there, are, there is so much sexual immorality. Yeah. I mean, the world is... As, as John says in, 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 in verse 2 here, like they're drunk on sexual immorality. Like it's, it's all over the place. Which, by the way, dear listeners, you know the Greek word for this. It's porneia. Like, from where we get pornography. Like, this is all over the place. There's more of it now than there ever has been before. You know, one of the interesting things to me too, Pastor Apple, is that the sins are never new. Um, and I think we've, you know, we talk about this, that like the devil is not creative at all. Right. This is from the very beginning. Um, God establishes Adam and Eve as man and woman, as, as husband and wife. And the, the first sin is to, to go against this, that Adam would not care for his wife enough to say, don't eat that. Um, so we have this whole entire thing here, this um, this adultery, which, uh, by the way, the 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 meaning of adultery it's from an old French word, and it and it just means to change or to alter or to break a promise. Mm -hmm. To break a promise, um, I found that out because like I don't know if you have this, but when you come around to the the sixth commandment in confirmation class, things always get a little strange. And, and you're like, do not commit adultery. And, and, and the kids say, well, what's adultery? They say, oh, well, um, uh, you know, ask your, ask your parents. But, uh, I mean, I, this, this came out of like, not really knowing how to talk about this sure. with kids. I just like looked it up, figured it out. It just means to break a promise. And, yeah. and that's a way we can talk about this, right? Because, what promises are we breaking uh, when we commit adultery? 
Well, you've made marriage vows to one another. And, and it's literally breaking those promises that you've made. Yeah. Um, so that, but that's, that's what the, that's what this great prostitute has to offer you. She's going to promise a lot. Um, because sin, whether it's sexual immorality, um, or whatever it is, it always promises something. It promises some sort of satisfaction, some sort of immediate gratification. And, and that's all it has, has. And any sin that you commit is going to be followed immediately by some sort of regret um, and, or some sort of um, consequence even. Uh, and you can think this through with whatever sins there are. I don't want to introduce new sins into people's minds. Um, if you don't struggle with one certain sin, I'm not going to like tell you, invent something new for you. But whatever sin it is that you struggle with, I mean, think about that. Every time you fall into this or find some new thing, um, like you immediately regret this. And, and what do we do with that? Well, the world wants you to celebrate that. The world wants you to put away that feeling. Um, but instead, we are, we are repented by the Lord, right? When we, I mean, thank God that we have a conscience, right? That, that we, we come and we, we kind of, we wake up like the prodigal son and we say like, whoa, that is, this is troubling to me. Um, this was no good. So, and then, and then you, you go back home to the father and he says, hey, I've been waiting for you to come back. Um, but yeah, this, this great prostitute has, she has things to offer us and they are alluring. Um, she has, I mean, look at the clothes she's wearing, the purple and scarlet and she has gold and this gold cup is full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Why is it in a gold cup? Well, cause if she just showed you what it was, you'd be like, Ugh, gross. Yeah. I don't want that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and that, that stands in contrast then to the way that the church appears weak and vulnerable, like you were saying. The, totally. the church looks like she doesn't have anything to offer. She is the one who is oppressed. She is the one who is, is being persecuted. Here is this other woman who, who seems to offer whatever you want and offer it to you right now. But to receive what she has is to break a promise and to receive all of the fruit of that, which isn't as good as you thought it was going to be. And in fact, it's bad, and it will lead to your destruction and genuine suffering. Yeah, it's, it's not only is it not good, it's bad. So when it comes to the matter of, you know, this is the great prostitute, the anti-church, adultery being the sin that's in mind, and, and certainly sexual immorality is the, the thing that gets mentioned over and over again here, and, and you mentioned the, you know, how sexual morality, we see that throughout our world still today. At the same time, I think there's not only the matter of the sixth commandment in play here, but also the first. That I mean, when, especially when you look in the Old Testament in the background there, when adultery is talked about, oftentimes we're also thinking about idolatry as well. Correct. And, 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 and sometimes that's literally like going to temple prostitutes, right? But I mean, more often than not, though, it, it is, right, that's the problem with all sins, is that all sins are actually a sin against the first commandment and are idolatry. The only reason why you commit adultery or covet your neighbor's possessions or whatever it is, is because you don't fear love and trust in, in God above all things. You fear love and trust in other things, 
And mm-hmm. so, yeah, the fact that you can't stop sinning is, is, is evidence that you have like this deeper problem than, than just that, you know, you can't get control of your anger or whatever that is. I just want to, um, the, the golden cup full of abominations. I found this wonderful thing at, uh, the venerable bead, who is my favorite theologian. He, in his commentary on this, he, he refers to this as the allurement of simulated truth. Mm. And, and it's just great. It's like, it's not truth but it's mm. simulated truth. It just seems like he had so much like foresight there. They're the, the alternative facts of uh, like 1300 years ago or something. Sure. But, but you know sure. what I mean though, is it, I mean, it's shocking to me that we don't come up with any new sins. Like this is, yeah. this is what they're dealing with in Genesis. Um, and it, it's also interesting that this lady, she's wearing this, this, uh, this headband, the, the Babylon the Great. Yeah. Um, we just celebrated Pentecost this this last Sunday, and we we heard about the the Tower of Babel, like the the origins of Babel. And and you look at this, and this this great prostitute is seated on many waters, and they're like, okay, so we've got flood imagery here. The whole thing with the Tower of Babel is that they're actually trying to avoid another flood. Um, and that's why they code it in the same thing that they covered the ark in. And so, like, there they are. Uh, we're we're going to avoid this, and we're going to make ourselves great, and we're going to build ourselves up. And and so this is, Babylon never goes away. Which, did you know that the, the Tower of Babel, like, the foundations are still there? I did not know that. Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't know this either until this previous um, week as I was doing uh, research and whatnot, but uh, it's called the Etimananki, and huh. and you can go there. It's in Iraq, and wow. yeah, Alexander the Great died trying to dismantle it, and that's why it's like not there anymore, but it's still there, but Babylon is fallen, um, even even though she continues to, to exist um, in these other ways, but, but yeah, there's no new sins. And, and, but yet the Lord deals with them all. So why, I mean, talk about, talk a little bit more about that, that Babylon never goes away, even though she's fallen, Babylon never goes away. What, what is the, and it's, I don't think you're talking about the foundations you can visit in Iraq. No, unfortunately, uh, Babylon is not a city that can be, uh, just like bombed into oblivion. You know, we, we've tried that and, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So I, I learned I learned this phrase from this uh, I went to a Christian anarchist conference once and um, it was in it was in Charlotte North Carolina and you you did have to register for it and there was a schedule but uh, it was a Christian anarchist conference and I, I don't know it was fun um, it was like tons of young people they were mostly Mennonites but they were they were hugely concerned with the empire. That's all they talked about was the empire out there. Empire, empire, empire. And and I actually found in uh, Martin Franzman's commentary, like he talks about the same thing. Uh, the empire, which is um, spreading, that, that Satan is essentially ruling over. 
So you have this contrast throughout the whole entire scriptures again um, between Babylon, the kingdom, and the empire, or between the empire of Babylon and the kingdom of the Lord. Um, and, and this is why John the Baptist announced this. You know, he's like, hey, the kingdom of God is, is drawing near the axis at the root of the tree, people. Um, so, yeah, it, the, the empire continues. I mean, it's almost like see, the, the temptation with all these readings, with these texts, and I don't know if we want to like jump forward yet, but I think some of the symbolism is kind of funny because John talks about um, the, the seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Right. The seven hills. And it's like, everyone's like, well, you know, what is this great mysterious thing? Like, I mean, everyone knows like Rome is built on seven hills. It's like the worst hidden imagery you could have. It's, I mean, it's, it'd be like, that one is. I mean, that one is, yeah. yeah. Well, it, well and the deal is like, I mean, there are hundreds of cities in the world that claim to be built on seven hills. Sure. Right. Um, this is a thing that goes beyond Rome. Right. itself you know right. and maybe that's what this was then but it is it is the king the empire of this world that is trying to seize authority um by power by hatred uh by destruction um and, it, and again it has nothing to offer and at the end of the day it will all fall away um, and no matter what that is and and you can you can see it everywhere, uh, this 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 empire that is that is just it's all over the world and all throughout time, and and essentially what it is is that the Lord's word is is called to be ignored in the empire. I mean, it's that very first temptation, um, the the empire of, of the serpent, you know, the beast, the dragon, as he's seen um, some places in here. He calls you yeah. and he says, hey, don't listen to him. Don't listen to God. Did God really say? And it always seems kind of like plausible to us too. We're like, well, they got a point, don't they? Yeah. Um, if sin, if we could see sin as bad as it really is, no one would ever, would ever do it. But it's, it's, it's always disguised to us. It comes to us wrapped in purple and scarlet and adorned with jewels and pearls. And it, it seems better, but it's not. Um, whitewashed tombs, you know. Yeah, it looks good yeah. on the outside, but in the inside, it's just disgusting. Yeah, and so one of the things that we see here is, is John is revealing the true picture to us. Jesus is revealing it to John. We are seeing it with him of just how bad sin really is, the destruction, the seductive nature of it, that we would not follow after this great prostitute, the anti-church, but instead put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, June 20th. We're studying Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 to 18 with Chaplain Kyle Meetsner. He serves as battalion chaplain with the 10th Mountain Division of the United States Army in Fort Drum, New York. Chaplain Meetsner, prior to the break, we were talking about the seductive nature of this great prostitute. We're seeing the anti-church. The church, she appears in weakness and vulnerability, although the Lamb is on her side and he has won the victory for her. Yet this prostitute, the anti-church, offers immediate gratification. You can break your promise, you'll get everything you want. All you really get is regret and the evil that comes with sin, yet she is tempting. And so John is seeing this mystery revealed. And you brought up already that there are some details, especially in verses 7 and following, when the angel begins to tell the mystery of the woman. There are the seven hills that, that are called to mind, or in verse 9 it says this calls to mind, calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. In John's context, that sounds an awful lot like Rome, but you said, no, it's, it's not just Rome. We're talking about anything that sets itself against the Lord and his church, whether that is in some sort of political government or something else. The, the papacy might be another thing that we could talk about here, commercialism, all kinds of things that would fit into this great prostitute, the power that al- aligns itself against the Lord and his word. So we've got the seven hills, maybe thinking about Rome. There are some other details that are in this text in particular that just like, they really make you want to find things in history that they should correspond to. It's not always as easy as it seems, and probably that's part of the point. But help us through some of these things. We've got seven kings. Take us into some more, more of these details. All right, very good. So, of course, um, and it's it's interesting. So the 16th century reformers come along, and they read this, and they're like, yeah, obviously, this is this is Rome, and this is the papacy. This is the right. Pope. That that Rome. They're they're thinking of Rome like the Roman pontiff at their time, not necessarily Rome of John's day, right? Correct. And it's yeah. I don't know. I mean, they did like set up shop in the same place. Um <laughs> I, mean, if, I don't know. If if I was like, you know, gonna set up a church somewhere, maybe the place where the Bible talks about the like, you know, seven hills and like that's where this uh, antichrist is. Maybe that's where I'm not going to do it. I don't know. Maybe a place with eight hills or ten, or just a flat place. I don't know. But um, but that's just me, you know. So it it, it really is interesting because you're you're kind of begging for identification here uh, with with these these things. And and so people throughout history, of course, always judge this. Um, so. Obviously, St. John is not talking about the the Roman Catholic Church here or the Pope in Rome because it it like it doesn't really exist. There's a there's a church in Rome, but like we just know them and they're they're good people over there. 
Um, it would be a mistake to think that just because there's a church in Rome, that is like the seat of the Antichrist. And, you know, like we have, we have, um, there's not many, but there's, I know there's at least like one Lutheran church in Rome. Like we're going to be like, see, you know, you're not going to name it like the great prostitute, you know, congregation or something like that, just because that's where it is. But, but everyone like, reads these things and they, they read it in the situation that they're in. Because, I mean, let's face it, like you and me and our people, like who's really worried about Nero? Um, I mean, I'm not anymore. I think he's interesting. Um, the Romans didn't like him. Uh, yeah. They, I mean, they write terrible, awful things about him while he's still alive. And, and then he is, um, uh, He's basically unseated and, and, and kills himself. But that's, so we have these, let's see, these seven heads, seven mountains, seven kings, five of whom have fallen. Um, so, and some of this is coming from um, uh, Johann Gerhard, who is a, a Age of Lutheran Orthodoxy um, scholar, just kind of one of these like brains that you're like, I don't understand how you can do so much, but... Uh, he talks about this, that there, there are five of these kings um, that have been around in Rome at, the, at this time, um, but then, like, there's two more. But then he also talks about there's, like, seven different systems of government that have been seen in Rome um, that, that ends with the Goths and the Vandals uh, who sack Rome and occupy it. Um, but... I, yeah, I, I, it's all kind of, I think it's all basically lost to us. Um, so, per, I mean, to, just to kind of to try to jump on here a, a little bit with what you're saying, there, there are some historical identifications that maybe make some sense. So to think about yes. five emperors of Rome that have died, one who currently is, one who's still coming— those are the kind of identifications that John Harris are going to make, and that's not necessarily wrong. In fact, that's probably what he is supposing they will do. But for us to only think about those things is probably not the right identification either. To make application to the way we see these things still coming up in the world today is also faithful. To, to the point, then, that to look at the Roman Catholic Church and the Office of the Papacy as a as an instantiation of this, not because it's located in Rome, but because of the false doctrine that's there, that's not necessarily a wrong move. No, and and, and that's the thing, like, let me tell you uh, here is even if you're in a, a city that, like, doesn't have any hills at all, um, like, the Antichrist very well um, could be dwelling among you, too, because um, it has to do with, with false doctrine, all right, yeah. um, false belief. And it has to do with idolatry, not your geographical location. Like, this is an eternal truth for you. It's not like you don't have to worry about this stuff anymore just because Rome has fallen, um, because all of these empires have fallen. Like, these things are still out there. Like, this, this war is still going on. This is an eternal thing here. Um, I mean, yeah. these truths also bear that it, that it will end, it will be resolved, or um, that it will be uh, 
the marriage feast of the lamb and the bride, like it, it will be consummated. Like we will get there, but these things are still going on. Um, or else maybe you're going to let like, your guard down, you know, it'd be like, Oh, well, we don't have to worry about that. Sure. And maybe just to, to kind of look at the text and the way that the text I think shows this in verse nine, where it says the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Later in the text, in verse 15, the angel also tells John that the waters you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So you've got the seven hills. She's seated there in in Rome at the time John's writing it. But the angel also tells John, hey, look, she's seated everywhere. She's among all peoples and nations. Yeah, that is. And it's kind of a funny thing, right? And Jesus does this with a couple of parables, too, where he, like, tells the parable, and then later on he's like, well, here's what it means. Um, yeah. I, I kind of like that he doesn't tell you right away what it is because you read it and you're kind of like, what is this mystery? And then and then he un- unveils it um, there at, at the end. But yeah, every peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages, which is also, again, a corruption um, of of the church because this is also where we find the church. You know, it's it's... It's a mistake to think that, you know, the Antichrist dwells only in Rome. It's also a mistake to think that, like, you're going to get extra points if you if you make some pilgrimage to Rome as well, um, which I've been there during, um, during a Jubilee year when if you go and you go through seven doors in the churches, and um, I didn't get all of them, so I'm not, like, in, no. but... Sorry. But, like, you know, this is everywhere. The, the church is everywhere. The church is in rural Iowa. The church is in, you know, imperial Rome. The church is in, in uh, I don't know, like, wherever you want. It's everywhere. There's people. That's what Jesus says. Like, you're going to go out to the whole entire world. Uh, I think that's great. We don't have to, like, go to a special place to find it. Um, it's It's with you. It's with the Word of God. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, the anti-church is right there next to the true church. Here is the great prostitute with her deception calling out. I mean, I, I know we haven't talked about the, the woman from Proverbs 9, the woman Folly. I suppose she's in all the, the first chapters of Proverbs who's calling out with seduction, calling men to her, and they don't realize that death is in her house. Mm. The great prostitute has something similar here going on because you don't, you don't realize she's allied with the beast. She, she's allied with the dragon, with the Antichrist. And and what she—we uh, didn't really talk about this—what she drunk with, she's drunk with the blood of saints. She's drunk with the blood of martyrs. So it's, it's not just that she's holding this cup full of abominations, but she actually would have you—she's drinking the very, the very Christians she's killing. Yeah, it, it seems to—it seems to kind of feed on itself, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you think about, like, the kind of rapid— um, uh, descent into madness that we have seen in in our country over the last like ten years or so. Um, just, I mean, we all, well, young people remember, but uh, when President Obama won the election, like everyone still thought gay marriage was an illegal thing, and that was, I don't know, like ten years ago, maybe. I think so. Yeah, ten years. And, yeah. And just how kind of like it it just snowballs and and it gets to this point, but again, like 
this happens all the time. It's the cyclical thing. Yeah. We can't get out of it. Um, this happened in Rome. Um, if you, like, you can get really gross really quickly talking about all this stuff too, right? And, and, and that's not the point here, but the point is that it's always, it's always been bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. there's, there's no golden age you can go back to. It was always bad. Um, yeah. Like, this stuff is in Plato. It is, um, it's, it's all over the place. Sure. Well, and I think that's where the, the reference to Babylon being the name that's on her forehead. So, I mean, you've, you've got the past, the present, and into the future that are all in view here with this great prostitute, that John's not just saying, hey, look at this one historic identification in the year uh, 90 AD, just to pick a number. It, he's not saying that. He's, he's showing how this anti-church has existed throughout history and will continue to exist throughout history until the Lord returns. I think that's why it's very helpful that you brought up the way that the dragon was working in Genesis chapter 3 already to bring about this anti-church. And I, I mean, you know, you've mentioned already that one of the things in the book of Revelation is that the Lamb is always winning. The Lamb is, is always reigning, even if he looks vulnerable. And he's here in this text, too. In verse 14, it is the Lamb upon whom the, the prostitute and the beast are allying together to make war upon him, but the Lamb conquers him, because he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's a that's a key part of this text that we don't want to forget. Yeah, I love this in, in 14. They make war on the Lamb. Like, this is going to happen. Dear Christians, if you're in the world, um, like, you're going to be troubled by this. You may be persecuted. You may be slain because this uh, anti-church is is thirsty for the blood of the saints. Like, they might get you. They may kill you. This happens. Um, well, we know that there are more martyrs being made now than ever in history. We just, like, I don't know. We don't, we don't, don't see them somehow. Um, but it is, it is this thing where, like, okay, they're going to make war on the Lamb, but why does the lamb conquer them? Well, it's because he's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. It's like it's not because he has better tactics. It's not because he has better marketing. It's not because it's not, it's not because of of any sort of like sneaky sort of thing. And, and you know, I, you always think of like you know when churches are kind of like on hard times and and all of a sudden you know you've got like ten people in church and you can't pay the bills and. And they think like, how are we going to get more people in here? And they resort to all sorts of like kind of, I don't know, like crazy schemes. Um, like we get real desperate. I was like, well, don't do that. Like you don't need to be desperate. Like the Jesus Christ is the is the Lamb, and He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Uh, like He will He will do this. Uh, we don't we don't need to to disguise anything in order to bring bring the faithful in. And this is the thing, too, is that the Lord has these names. He's got these names written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And, and from when? Well, the foundations of the world, all right? Babylon has fallen, but the foundations of the world are eternal. And the Lord has already seen this. Um, like, your name, dear Christians, is written down. There's, they're not going to take you away from this. Um, that one, uh, one other thing here in, in, in verse eight, that we didn't quite 
um, hit yet. This, it's another like kind of alluring thing, the bottomless pit, the abyss, um, the, the beast is going to come up from here, from the bottomless pit. And, and again, you have this contrast between the Christ and the Antichrist, the church and the anti-church. So the anti-church, the Antichrist, has to do with the abyss, the bottomless pit. They come out of nothing. And you think like, well, isn't that where we came from? It's, it's, a, it's a mistake to think that, that the world was created out of nothing because it wasn't. The world is created out of the word of God. The church is created out of the word of God. God speaks and it is. See, by contrast, the beast, Satan, comes out of, out of nothing, out of the void, out of the abyss. Um, I don't want to like nerd out too much on Tolkien stuff, but if you're like Lord of the Rings people and haven't read the Silmarillion yet, just like read the first like 20 pages. Um, and, and Tolkien talks about this, that the Lord creates the world as this song and it's just this beautiful thing. And you see this with the poetry in Genesis. And then uh, the like devil figure goes out into the void and sings his own discordant thing. And, and so there you go. Like the word of God creates the church. The word of God is responsible uh, for your victory. The, the beast, Satan, like they're just taking you to destruction, to the abyss. To nothing, uh, but 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 here we are um, in the church that does survive, does thrive on the word, uh, on the word of God, uh, who is then made incarnate in Jesus Christ. Like, he is the word of God, and He has come and, and dwelt among us. He comes down into this crazy little world of ours, and and He's not repulsed uh, by all of this stuff. He's He's not frightened by by this great beast um, because he is victorious and he always has been and he always will be yeah yeah well and and those who are with him then to go back to to verse 14 those who are with the one who is lord of lords and king of kings they are called chosen faithful so those those who don't fall for the way that this prostitute dresses herself up the the ones who who simply are who they are, or who God has made them to be, they receive this precious gift. So to be in the church, as vulnerable as, as and weak as it may seem, is actually to be with the conquering lamb, and so you then are called chosen and faithful. Indeed. Uh, he is not conquering just for his own conquest, right? Uh, Alexander the Great conquers the world and goes around and names, like, every city, Alexandria. Um, the Tower of Babel is built because we want to make a great name for ourselves. We actually have the inscription, um, like the paperwork from from the uh, the king who built the thing. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to make a name for myself. <laughs> and you're like, oh no, this is, this is bad. Uh, it, and you think about this too, Christians. If, if you're doing things in order to to make names for yourself, to make yourself great, uh, you're you're probably headed on the wrong path. Like that's the path of of the empire again, of the antichrist, uh, wanting to lift ourselves up. Instead, we're with John the Baptist. Well, he must increase and I must decrease. Like, he's leading. Uh, I follow him. 
we know that, that that's yeah. the word disciple. I follow him because he's leading. How could I, who else would I follow? I mean, it really is like, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and back in, in chapter 14, the 144,000 were described as those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And, and here, that's, that's exactly, I think, what's, what's in view here, that rather than following after the great prostitute with all of her allurements, all that the anti-church has that seems so wonderful, rather, follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And if that means that he leads you to pick up your cross and follow him into death— then follow him where he goes, because he still is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And when you are following him, you remain called, chosen, and faithful, no matter what persecution or death you may face right now. Following him, belonging to him, that's the key. Well, and think about where he has gone, right? Um, our Lord has gone to the cross, and then they take him down, and they wrap him up, and they put him into a new tomb. He's gone to death. He's gone into the grave. And then where else has he gone? Well, he steps out of that grave. Uh, he is raised from the dead. He has gone before us, and we will follow him. Uh, he has ascended into heaven, and he will return to, to raise the dead to, for, for judgment, uh, to bring about eternal life, which is, I mean, which is where the book of Revelation is headed, by the way. You know, spoiler alert at the very end of this. The new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, comes down out of heaven, uh, prepared as a bride for her husband. And, and it's beautiful. And in all of this disgustingness is gone. And, and instead, yeah. there is this great consummation. And so from beginning to end, the Bible is also a story of, of marriage. Um, and, and this is why we can see one of the things... One of these symbols of the, the Antichrist is the despising of the, the gift of marriage because, again, it is a picture of Christ and the church. And, and Paul talks about this in Ephesians too, that uh, husbands love their wives and do, do anything for them. And, yeah. and, and, and he has done this for us. Um, so every, every marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And uh, the whole entire world is is a picture of this this Christ in the church and like this is where everything is headed and you get the sense that like the the beast whether it's the the beast the two beasts the dragon um all the all the all everything in the kingdom of the antichrist in the empire like they know that their time is up I mean, this is why Satan prowls like a roaring lion, because he because he knows, um, he knows that that he's defeated already, uh, and and so you can have confidence uh, by 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 reading these things here. So yeah, the Lamb is victorious. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and, and you even see where this is headed at the end of the chapter, in verse sixteen. John, John sees that the ten horns, they and the beast, will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. So evil is going to, to begin to consume itself. We're going to hear fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great in the next chapter. As you said, we're getting close to the end. We're going to see these forces of evil begin to be destroyed. And, and the fact will be revealed 
fully and publicly what has been true all along, that the Lamb does, in fact, reign over all things. That's where we're headed as we move forward in the book of Revelation. Got about two minutes here in the morning. Chaplain Meetsner, help us to wrap things up, summarize the, the warning, but yet the hope that's ours here in Revelation chapter 17. The warning is that this stuff is all over the place. Uh, the kingdom of the Antichrist is pervasive in our world. But you who are in the church, uh, so the, the, the great prostitute has her name written on her forehead, and, and, and you have something written on your forehead too. This is also um, in, in chapter 14 with the, the 144,000. They are sealed with the lamb's name on their forehead. It is not like your own individual name tag. It is the name of the Lord who conquers that this and this has been given to you in holy baptism when we do this especially in church when we make the sign of the cross on your your forehead and upon your heart marking you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified so this is not some abstract concept we actually give this to you if you're wondering if you're caught up in the kingdom of the antichrist or if you've got the lord's name on your forehead uh ask yourself have has he baptized me has this church baptized me? Have we been brought into this beautiful bride? Which one am I? You know, uh, it it doesn't wear off. He has tattooed you on your forehead, and you can go forth with confidence. Re- repent of your sins, of course, uh, because because there's nothing but forgiveness for you. There's nothing but grace for you. Um, come along, and and indeed, like call out to other people. Like, why on earth would we have anything but confidence with with this? Because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has conquered, and he and he's your king. This is Jesus Christ who is raised from the dead. It's still Easter, you know, so hey, hallelujah, Christ is risen, and he's risen indeed. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. And hey, join the army, people. Uh, <laughs> you should all become army chaplains. It is uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> And we need chaplains. God be praised. Thank you for your your service as chaplain, Pastor Meisner. Pastor Kyle Meisner is battalion chaplain with the 10th Mountain Division of the United States Army in Fort Drum, New York. He's been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 to 18. Chaplain Meisner, thanks for being our guest today. You're welcome. Pleasure to be with you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Revelation 17, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.